Welcome to the White Hatter Parenting in an Online World podcast. And on this podcast, we're going to be taking a more holistic approach to online safety in an enlightening and not frightening way based upon facts and not fear. We will provide parents, caregivers, and educators with real-world examples, experiences, and evidence-based research that will help to keep our kids safer emotionally, psychologically, physically, and even socially when they're navigating today's online world. Let's get after it, shall we? Well, welcome everyone. Darren with the White Hatter team. And once again, I'm excited to be your host. And on this episode, we're going to be talking about how to report a cybercrime to your local police department and what to expect when you make a report. Important caveat, uh, not all police departments are the same and reporting processes can differ from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So in this podcast, I'm going to be speaking about basic reporting principles that can be applied in the vast majority of cases, no matter what the police jurisdiction involved. Often we were asked in our presentations what to expect from the police when someone phones to report a cybercrime. Given that I'm a retired staff sergeant from a modern mid-sized law enforcement agency here in Canada, I think I can provide some quality knowledge-based insight for those listening to this podcast. When you first call the police to report a cybercrime, or any crime for that matter, in most cases you will be speaking to a civilian complaint taker. The job of these civilian professionals is to filter the call and decide if it meets the requirements of a uniform officer being dispatched and assigned to your complaint. Remember, this call taker will, in most cases, be a civilian complaint taker. Although well-trained, most complaint takers do not necessarily have the same legal training as a police officer and as such may not be up to speed on current legal case law or even online investigational techniques surrounding a cybercrime complaint and or investigation. If the complaint taker advises you that your complaint does not meet the requirements to send a police officer, calmly disagree and ask to speak to their supervisor. In most cases, the supervisor will also be a civilian, but in some cases, maybe a police officer. So it's important that you ask for clarification when you take their call. If after speaking to a civilian supervisor, they still advise you that they will not be dispatching a police officer to your complaint, say thank you, hang up the phone, and once again dial the non-emergency number and ask for the watch commander. The watch commander is usually a police officer of rank that is overseeing the first responder operations of the department. Explain to the watch commander why you've now connected with them, and in some cases, the watch commander may override the complaint taker and have a car dispatched to your call, something I did often as a watch commander, or they may confirm that the complaint does not meet their call approval threshold. An interesting case study, we assisted a family who attempted to help a team from another country who was having extreme suicidal ideations and voicing so to their son in a private text stream on Instagram. The parents phoned their local police agency where the complaint taker, a civilian, advised that there was nothing that the police could do because it was the internet and that the teen in crisis actually lived in another country outside of their jurisdiction. It was at this time that this family then connected with me where I took it upon myself to locate the teen in crisis via some online investigational techniques that I use and through the internet located the U.S. Police Department of Jurisdiction where that youth lived and notified them of the incident. This U.S. Police Agency attended the teen's home where they located him in the process of taking his life by suicide. The next day we connected with the Canadian Police Agency where this incident was first reported and spoke to the detachment commander about their complaint taker's refusal to generate a call for service. As a result, 
updated training to all their complaint taker staff took place that educated them that there were in fact investigational steps that could have been taken by police to generate what is commonly known as an assist outside police agency file. Also, this detachment commander took it upon himself to visit the family that I worked with where he provided an apology to the family and personally thanked the team for being an upstander and that his actions likely saved the life of another teen. How cool is that? Parenting tip. In most cases, when you first contact the police, unless it is a situation where there is a significant risk of severe injury or death, call the police on their non-emergency line only. Don't use 911. If a police officer has been assigned and dispatched to your call, it is important to know that depending upon call load and emergency calls for service, there could be a delay in how long it will take for a uniform member to knock at your door. Like it or not, although a significant issue to you, a cybercrime that has occurred will likely be a lower priority call in most cases unless there is a risk of death or serious injury. As you're waiting for the police to attend, there are several things that you can do to speed things along once they arrive at your location. Number one, do not tell the suspect that you are calling the police. Number two, do not delete anything that was sent to you. Number three, if you know how, screen capture everything and print it. This is especially important if the suspect has the ability to delete from their end. Number four, if you don't know how to screen capture, touch nothing and leave your computer alone and let the police handle it. And number five, start writing a detailed statement of everything that took place that led you to call the police, which you can then give to the officer when they attend, along with the printed screenshots that I've already mentioned. Now, before the police officer arrives, we want to be absolutely honest with you. Depending upon the age of the officer will often dictate, in most cases, how familiar they are with the internet and social media. The younger the officer, the more involved they will likely be in the investigation. The reality is that many police departments are playing a game of catch-up specific to training all officers on how to deal with cybercrime. Having said this, some of the larger departments have their own cybercrime units. All provinces in Canada and many U.S. states participate in integrated cybercrime units that specialize in investigating issues such as online child exploitation that are often called Integrated Child Exploitation Units or ICE Units. Some junior officers do not know about these integrated units, so there may be times where you can share your knowledge of their existence just as a reminder to them. Now that the officer has arrived at your door, they will begin the who, what, where, when, how, and why of your complaint and look at any evidence that you've collected to help clarify in their mind that a criminal code offense has taken place. If the answer is yes, then the officer will need to prove one more element. That being, was their intent to commit the criminal act? If the answer to this second question is also yes, then the officer will proceed with an in-depth investigation. This may also include a written video or audio uh, recording as to what has taken place. Parenting tip. Before the officer leaves your location, make sure that you get their name, rank, and case number for your complaint. This will be needed if you have to connect with the investigating officer at a later date to request follow-ups specific to the status of your file. Now, often when investigating a cybercrime, the hardest thing to prove to a judge or jury is that the person accused was in fact the person who pushed the send button. Unlike the TV show Cyber CSI, where they can solve an online crime in an hour, in the real world, it could take weeks, months, or even years to collect all the digital evidence needed to prove a crime. This is especially true if the suspect resides in a country outside of Canada, where the police need to work through something that is called the Mutual Legal Assistance Treaty to obtain evidence to support a 
charge. Knowing it and proving it in a court of law are two different things that many people don't understand legally, and therefore can get very frustrated when their case is not solved quickly. Now, depending upon the cybercrime and the evidence required, police may also have to seize your computer or digital device, like your cell phone, to conduct what is known as a forensic dump of that device. This data dump will provide an officer with a court-defensible document of what was sent to you and where it came from. We must also caution readers that this could take days, weeks, or even months that you may be without your digital device, depending upon the police department involved. As you can imagine, investigating a cybercrime can be very labor-intensive, and the severity of the cybercrime can often dictate how much time will be dedicated to your complaint, rather than other more serious incidences that they are likely in the investigator's work queue. Having said this, don't be afraid to push your case because often the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Again, depending upon the age of the officer attending, they may initially advise you that there's nothing that the police can do given that the cybercrime committed was from an anonymous source or from another country. Although initially it may appear to be from an anonymous source, an in-depth investigation may be able to identify a suspect. What can make this even more challenging, however, is if the suspect resides outside of Canada, especially from a country that may not be an Interpol member. Parenting tip. It is important to know for our Canadian listeners that the Criminal Code of Canada allows a person from another country to be charged with a criminal offence here in Canada. However, extradition to Canada to face the courts on such charges, except in the most serious cases, will likely not take place. Again, if you think the officer is just trying to blow off your complaint, don't be afraid to politely push back a little. If they still ignore your complaint or say there's nothing they can do, say thank you and connect with their watch commander once they've left. Once an investigation has been completed, there are several courses of action that can take place depending upon the severity of the incident, which could include a verbal warning, something called restorative justice, or what we like to call RJ, or number three, court. Verbal warnings in court are self-explanatory. Restorative justice has become more popular in lower-level cyber crimes, especially if committed by somebody you either know, love, or trust. RJ has no criminal record attached, but we've seen some amazing outcomes from RJ processes compared to what we've seen in the courts. So what are our takeaways from today's podcast? Number one, if you or your child have been targeted online, you should report it to the police. Number two, if the situation does not immediately involve serious injury or death, call the non-emergency number. Do not dial 911 to report the incident. Number three, if you're not happy with the service you've received over the phone when you first report the incident, or even after dealing with an officer, politely say thank you and then call the watch commander. Number four, cybercrime cases do take time and unlike what you see on TV where they can solve a crime in 60 minutes or less, most cybercrime investigations can take weeks, months, and sometimes even a year or more to complete. And number five, be your child's best advocate and don't be afraid to politely push back when needed or to reasonably request updates on your file. So there you have it, a brief outline as to what you can expect from the police when you report a cybercrime. Although this podcast was not meant to be exhaustive in outlining how a cyber investigation will take place, it does provide you with the basic information to help you when reporting such a crime. Remember, you have to be your own best advocate, especially when dealing with an officer who may have less knowledge about the internet and social media than a preteen, teen, or even you as the informed parent or caregiver. As we always say in all our parent and caregiver programs, be your child's best parent and not their best friend when it comes to their on-life world. There is a difference. However, to do this, parents and caregivers need to educate themselves as well, and this is what this podcast was all about. Remember parents, you're not alone on this digital journey. 
we are here to help. Don't forget to check out our website at www.thewhitehatter.ca and our White Hatter Facebook page where there's just a ton of free content to help parents and caregivers parent in today's on-life world. As well, on our website, we outline all the programs that we offer to schools, families, youth groups, and even businesses when it comes to social media safety and digital literacy. Stay strong, everybody. Be that mentor and digital sheepdog. And from the White Hatter team, thank you for listening. And until our next podcast, have a great week, everybody. Bye now.